You're listening to B2B Nation, a podcast from Technology Advice designed to help marketers navigate the modern B2B buyer's journey. Here's your host, Mike Pastor. Is it getting a bit noisy around here? And I don't mean on B2B Nation, where despite a rockin' theme song, we try to keep things as civilized and calm as possible. But digital marketers are often reminded that their prospects are 75 or 85% through the buyer's journey before they talk to a salesperson. In response, those marketers create more content and distribute it through more channels than ever before. And on the other end, all of these messages and channels end up flooding marketers with data that might help them understand ROI and attribution if you can keep up and sort it all out. I'm Mike Pastor from Technology Advice. On this episode of B2B Nation, we talk to Tracy Fudge, founder of the Thrive Agency, about the noise in B2B marketing. What it means for the authenticity and empathy marketers were advised to use in the past year, and whether or not there's value in all that's being created and shouted from the digital rooftops. But before we tackle that, we're actually going to figure out what most businesses mean when they throw around the word value. Have a listen. Tracy Fudge from Thrive Agency. Thanks for joining us on B2B Nation. Take a second and tell us who you are and what you do. Thank you so much. I've really been looking forward to this episode and joining you. My name is Tracy Fudge. You got that right. We are a boutique, meaning small team, and we have a niche of high-tech companies, and we deliver digital marketing solutions, glorified lead generation. So that's our goal is to figure out personas, mapping, journeys, things like that, and then to place that into a digital format. And hopefully if everybody does their jobs right, we're making money for them. You have a very interesting backstory and and I'll let you tell it, but you said you came to the realization that the tactics and strategies that you were taught when you got into marketing weren't going to work in today's world. And so what specifically was wrong with those ideas? This industry constantly changes, right? So maybe we learn something and then it's not as relevant anymore or it's not as up to date anymore because technology changes. But what specifically do you think was wrong with what you were taught in the beginning? So my background is sales. So I always tease and say I'm a recovering sales executive from corporate America. And then I went off to venture and do this digital marketing agency thing. So I escaped, um, gosh, it's been eight years now from corporate America. So when I set out to start Thrive, um, I was applying my tactics that I had learned and strategies that I had learned from selling. And basically it's, it's, I was the one, the vehicle, salespeople are the, at the time were vehicles to deliver information. And now it seems that more and more that your prospects are, are delivering their own information. So you've got to provide that kind of information for them along their journey. And I, by your journey, I, it's overused and I'm really ready for a new term. And if you think of something, <laughs> we're talking about terms that are overused, you know, by your journey is definitely one of them, but them gathering information that they need depending on where they are. And you as quote, the salesperson you take a back seat. So I had to apply digital efforts then. Um, and I didn't really realize what I was doing, but I knew that 
I couldn't do what I was taught to grow the business. So we built out uh, sort of a, a digital solution from, from beginning to end for us to go get clients. And that was delivering digital information, doing videos, doing um, written word, emailing, things like that, and then converting them over time. Uh, but it wasn't a direct conversation until, honestly, until they're ready to buy. And that's really when they want to engage with a salesperson, be it if you're the agency owner, you sit in the seat of being a salesperson as well. And that's, we hear that stat, right? 65%, 75%, 85%, depending on who you listen to, of the buyer's journey takes place before the conversation with the salesperson. And the difficulty is, okay, what content do you deliver? during that 65, you know, 75, 85%. I mean, it is, you know, it's a lot of discussion about personas and what do they want and what do they want at this point? What do they want at that point? And um, it's, it's a lot of testing. It's putting a lot of traffic in front of that message to see if it works. And it complicates the attribution as well, because did they interact with this piece? Did they interact with that piece? Exactly. Did they eventually convert, right? And and so what role did that piece play? Well, they didn't read piece A, but you sent them piece A when they were on vacation. So they didn't read piece A, right? Right. But content piece B, they read and they ended up converting into a sale. But that attribution is not a straight line. It's, no. Attribution is never a straight line, right? I guess. <laughs> no. And I've, I find that some founders of companies in high tech, the founders at least, are still in that old school mindset. They think that one person can do all of that and it's impossible. Or Isn't one, that... you know, it's, it's a team effort. Even to put all this together, you need a content writer, you need a videographer, you need copywriter. I mean, the whole thing, you need an email marketing platform. I mean, it, it's, you need a funnel, you need a landing page, you need multiple landing pages. It's crazy. It's interesting how people who come up with these very complex and very feature rich technology platforms and then when it comes to the marketing, it's like, hey, one person, go ahead. Do, do it yeah. all. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually got a client now and I've had him for probably the whole time. Um, I just think he likes having somebody to talk to every week. <laughs> but all we're doing for him is just posting and sharing. But is that going to drive leads at that top of the funnel effort? No, it's not. You're never going to you know, just because you're engaging and sharing content, you've got to pull people into your funnel. And that whole concept, it's interesting. It's still so foreign to people. What do you, what do you see people engaging with? I think certainly right now, the pandemic, the kind of the online events, the webcasts, the webinars, there was a feeling at least towards the beginning of everybody being locked down and at home that that was the way to go because it was, it was going to reach people in a way you couldn't when you can't get them together. Video obviously has come a long way. It's a little hard to create video though when you can't get people together in the same room. So what, what, do, you, what do you see as far as content types that are pulling in engagement? The uh, platform Typeform has a tool called Video Ask, and that is if I can figure out a way to scale it, right? You've, and that is sending a personalized uh, video to each person you wanna talk to and you do it and you send it and um, it's all built right there. So that I like a lot. And that's the only platform that I've seen that does it um, organically where you can include it in a LinkedIn message or an email. I haven't seen, uh, I try not to test too many tools because I do have, 
shiny object syndrome. So I try, I try to limit my testing of tools, but it is these personalized videos and it is speaking directly to the person and saying their name and it's timely and humor is very good right now. And one tactic we've got is just say, hey, I know you don't want to get on another phone call for <laughs> a discovery call. I mean, who in the hell wants to do that these days? <laughs> you know, so that, but that's always the ask, right? That's what we really want. We want these discovery calls or we want these demos. And I think if you just add humor around that and you know, ask people straight up. So inside of video ask is the, is, you know, are you right? Where are you in your journey? So you could segment that audience right away and deliver personal videos. So that there's my answer. If you could figure out how to scale that and do it times a hundred a day, that would be good. And that sort of approach almost gets you back to your roots as a salesperson, right? This is the, it's kind of the one-on-one conversation, even though it's not asynchronous. So in a world where 65, 75, 85% of the journey is done without talking to a salesperson, has your background in sales kind of helped you as a marketer? Because marketers kind of pick up the slack of that 65, 75, 85%, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. your marketing is now your salesperson until they're ready to talk to a salesperson. So do you think your background in sales is an advantage there? Yeah, you know, I've, I've not thought of it in those terms um, exactly, but I do, I think, and to your point, I think these, these real conversations that you could have, you know, I'm a very, I'm not a surface conversation person, you know, it takes about one minute and I'm asking the hard question and I miss that. I miss that. And I wish that more people, but maybe this, as I talk through this out loud, maybe the pandemic and forcing people to get onto zoom and, and not have perfection and suits and ties and skirts and dresses and, maybe people are becoming more and more transparent and humble and in their approach. And, you know, this, we've always said we're a done for you agency. And I question that now because I can't do your videos for you. You know, I can't do that. And it's, that part is really hard. And that's where my team and I are talking right now. We're like, this is, this is hard work and it's probably more work for them uh, meaning the client, because they're the ones that have to deliver that personalized message. Uh, and that's a lot of work and we can't do that for them. You know, we've heard in B2C and B2B empathy for your customers yeah. over the past year, right? We've, we've heard a lot about that and mm-hmm. authenticity and authenticity is not hiring an agency to create your video for you. <laughs> it's really I, hard to pull off authenticity there, right? Yes. One of the things we we're going to talk about was the importance of communicating the value of your business. So let me start here. I see the word value a lot and yeah. I see it everywhere and I see it used in the customer value chain. I see the term business value. There's a lot of definitions of value and have been for a while. What do you think value means in this term? When we talk about communicating business value, some people use it as a synonym for ROI, it seems. Mm -hmm. Some people use it to mean like inexpensive. And I feel like we throw these terms around and they sort of lose their meaning. So when someone says business value to you, what are you thinking about? Well, it depends on which paradigm you're, you're speaking from. Is it towards the customer or back? So in my opinion, when I I had mentioned that one of my larger clients is involved with customer value management. And 
when I go in and define value, it's very different than what they are trying to define. And I almost think that it could be an enterprise definition, it could be an SMB definition, and it could be some other definition. For them, they have to tie in directly to the KPIs, the OKRs, or whatever the world we're calling these business goals that sits on the desk of the CEO and the board. And then you tie into that. Um, that's where, at least from the perspective of myself, where I consider value, but I am in full agreement that, that it's a thrown around term. And my value to uh, my client who we're not really doing anything other than just social media is probably very limited. Uh, but have I, have we developed a very large database of contacts on social for him, then that becomes the value. That's the asset and that's the value. So I don't know, I, I agree with you that it is a, a term that is thrown around a lot, but I do think it's, it's, it needs a sub-definition. What do you, do you think vendors are good at communicating business value? Do you think they need a lot of work there? Do you think that maybe they struggle in some cases to understand what their business value is? And if you struggle to understand your business value, it's going to be really hard to communicate that, right? So yeah, it, it goes back to when we define our personas and that buyer's journey that I was saying. It goes all the way back to the beginning that if you don't know the problem you're solving, and for whom, then there is no conversation. And I think a lot of businesses still are throwing, you know, throwing stuff against the wall to see what sticks, whether it's buying a list or hiring a cold calling firm or something like that. And they do a very poor job of understanding the problem that they're solving. So maybe the answer is value equals solution to said problem versus, the, versus <laughs> the metric based of like customer value management. I feel like when most people are talking about business value, I feel like they're mostly talking about return on investment. You pay yeah. this much, but I think, you know, return on investment is, is a very hard metric in some ways in the sense that I paid this much and I got this much business from that investment and you do the math and you say, okay, my return on investment was X. And I feel like value is a similar metric for some people, but it's not as easy to define. It's, I gained this capability and my business grew, but I feel like it's not a simple equation like return on investment. It's not, I paid this much and this is what I got back. I feel like that's what most people are trying to get at. And if that's what they are, a five letter word like value is a much easier way to say it. So I guess, so I guess I'm kind of in agreement with them there. Yeah. And the return, I mean, how do you define the return part of that ROI, that calculation? So it's not always monetary. You mentioned social media. Now there's a lot. I think that we can explore it in social media. <laughs> um, increasingly, people have a love-hate relationship with social media. You may have heard there's a disinformation problem in social media. Yeah. Um, any thoughts on social media marketing? How do you stand out from the noise? How do you try and be authentic? There's a lot. I feel like social media marketing is just going to be more and more challenging going forward. It's very noisy out there. It is. And one realization that I think I'm coming to, I'm not quite sure, is as an agency that we try to solve, I think agencies in general try to solve a big problem, right? And we, we add in email marketing, video marketing, content marketing, social media marketing, podcast marketing, those types of things. And I think if you go back to doing just one of those, then to solve one problem, 
and on social and you just stick with that. Um, otherwise you just sound like everyone else. And it is, it is hard and difficult to stand out from the noise. And we all purport to be able to do that for our clients. But for instance, when I bring on new clients, they have to have a really unique offer. Um, it's a really unique business that nobody, the whole world isn't already aware of. The guys and the gals that own businesses that that are web design or something like this. I mean, I, I'm not sure, but if, if there's really no differentiation and it comes back to if they've got a platform, if they've got some sort of onboarding or retention platform, almost like software as a service platform, then that's where the key differentiations come, I think. What is the biggest mistake that B2B marketers are making? And even say, I'll throw salespeople in here too, because when you think, when I think B2B social media, I think LinkedIn, I think LinkedIn has a lot of salespeople, some of, us, some of whom use it well and some of whom don't. But what are B2B marketing salespeople doing wrong on social media in your mind? In my opinion, it is not niching down to one persona and one problem. It is trying to solve a whole lot and you're not really scratching that problem for that audience. And that is that takes time. And I think everyone is so afraid of making their number, especially this year and hitting the budget numbers and satisfying the board that they're afraid to pull back and slow down. But in my opinion, that's exactly what everyone needs to do is pull back, slow down, deliver one message to one persona at a time. You just sort of touched on all the things that an agency can do, right? Content creation, social media, ads. What is the effect of all that digital marketing on tech companies? Are they are they using it all right? Because we just, you know, we mentioned noise relation to social media, but there's a lot of noise that comes in from all that marketing. And how well do you think vendors and B2B tech companies are handling sorting through all the information they get from all these campaigns, you could drown in the data pretty quickly. And yes. everybody's trying to figure out attribution, right? Where, where am I making my money? Where am I getting return on my marketing investments? Have a lot of them figured that out? Or are they just no. like standing in front of the fire hose? <laughs> that, that's right. I, I, I think, um, you know, the job of the CMO today, for instance, they're going out and, and either doing it in-house or having some agencies help them. I think that the job of the CMO is I is a scary position right now because the CSO or the CRO is looking to the CMO to deliver all these great marketing analytics. And to your point, it's just a bunch of crap and data. Great. We had this much data that, that watched this, this long of a of a video and stopped at this point on our page and those types of things. I, I really don't know if, if a CMO is going to be able to determine the attribution. And I, I think that there's a lot of spend right now for things that are not necessary. I feel like there was uh, something that we tried with like PDF assets over the past year or so, mm -hmm. which was putting the call to action like way up front. Traditionally, end of the paper, you read seven pages, you read eight pages, here's your next step. And we did a little test where we put the call to action at the beginning. Because my feeling was, if you read the first page and you were interested in learning more, I don't want to get in your way. I don't want to put six other pages in your way before you take action. 
And, but when you're looking at data and you're trying to figure out attribution, well, people didn't spend a lot of time with this white paper. Yeah. But they read the first page and they took an action to learn more, to get further down the funnel, to get closer to a sale. So the data may not, I think we all know this right now, data doesn't always tell the whole story. Exactly. You know, there's a tool called Drift. So they uh, have coined the phrase conversational marketing. And um, we just got certified in that program. That makes a lot of sense to me to because you're meeting the the person, the viewer, the audience where they are. And it remembers if you came back and what you where you were. So it's that's a pretty cool technology. Yeah, the chatbots in general, I think you know, people talk about engagement. Um, they look for engagement from traditional, more traditional tactics, like maybe the webinars and webcasts that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it's hard to find a software vendor these days that doesn't have a chatbot, whether it's Drift or another player in that field. And I think to myself, well, don't get upset that people didn't ask a question during your webinar because they can ask a question from any page of your website. <laughs> so, um, you know, d- don't hang your hat on engagement with every single asset because there's more avenues to engage than ever before. That's true. It's been a crazy year. And I think on every episode of B2B Nation, we can't avoid uh, the crazy, the craziness of 2020 and now early 2021. How, is, how have you seen it affect the companies that you work with, your clients, your potential clients? What have they changed? Are there any good decisions that people made that stood out? Bad decisions? Did people stay the course? How did they handle the past year? I think it was very sporadic. Uh, some people embraced more digital marketing, which uh, obviously we, we would take advantage of that. Um, and then some just pulled back and didn't want to spend at all. And I don't know what, you know, I've always believed in the saying that you won't know the truth until it's behind you, right? And you can look at it. I, I don't know what I, what I have some gut instinct that, that this will flush out a lot of nonsense. And, um, but I don't know when you look back, where was the money spent that made sense, that made the most sense. Um, I, I just, I don't know yet. I think everyone is so afraid uh, still and, and, and they're, the boardrooms are afraid, the executives are afraid and this is a scary time. It's really effed up. Yeah. And um, you know, I think, I think if anything, people may say, look, all the stuff I used to worry about really doesn't matter anymore. You know, <laughs> maybe we don't just look now. Retire, retire to an island and you know. <laughs> don't, know. <laughs> don't look now, but I think we're talking about the value that people derive from their digital marketing. Wow. Yeah. There's that word again. There it is. <laughs> well, the value I think is awareness. It's, it's learning how to speak to your authenticity, whether you're a CEO of a fortune 500 company or a startup. I think that you're real. I think we're all forced to realize how we speak, how we present, to our and who we are, at least from a digital standpoint, because even you know people are judging you. They're judging you by the sound of your voice. You know what you're what you look like when you talk. You, you know you're being judged, and I think that the more comfortable you can become in presenting yourself 
in a virtual digital format is going to arm you with more capabilities down the road. That is value, but it's value of a skill set. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's more of a, it goes back to the person themselves. It's a value. And you and I were talking before we started hitting record about some of the old school marketing techniques that are kind of coming back around. Podcast ads aren't that different from a radio ad, right? And the attribution is going to be a little bit tricky with a podcast ad. And the authenticity, all this digital technology has made it easier for businesses to be authentic. And I think back to like when I was a kid, there were a few business leaders who did their own commercials, Mm -hmm. right? But there were also plenty of actors hired to be that was not really the guy who started Smucker's Jelly in the commercials, right? (laughs) (laughs) But you can fire up the drift or whatever tool, Zoom, and make a video and record yourself. It's never been easier to be authentic and to put yourself in front of your customers and prospects. Correct. And I think that needs to be embraced. And you can't outsource that. You can outsource the SOP, the processing of it, right? So once you send me your video, I'll edit it and send it out and make it pretty and do audiograms and videograms and all that stuff. But it's still that front end work is definitely a lot of, um, you know, the first time you get online is difficult. It's easier for us because, you know, we're used to this now, but for a lot of these guys, they're not used to it at all. Yeah. It's, I think, I had to get over this. I think everybody has to get over this. And I've had this conversation with people before about, you know, it's never been easier to record your video, to record your voice, to make a podcast. This is all really low hanging fruit and easy to do. And people say, well, I hate the sound of my voice. Like everybody hates the sound of their voice. Oh my gosh. You got to get over it, right? (laughs) Maybe that's it. Maybe that's my new tagline. Just GT, you know, FO, get, I don't know. <laughs> GTFOI. <laughs> Let's hit fast forward. Let's say you and I are having this conversation a year from now. What do you think we'd be talking about that's different a year from now? Uh, hopefully things are a lot different. And, but you know, at, at the same time, we talked about a, a return to normalcy, a return to the way things were. Do people put away that empathy and that authenticity because it's a different time? What do you think a year from now? What are we going to be talking about? I don't think uh, that people will put it back, put it away again. I think that once you open that Pandora's box, it's opened. And then your whole thinking process, your whole paradigm has changed. And I think if anything, that's, I think and and comprehend a lot different than I did a year ago. you know, it is, it, it's more from an emotional state and emotions, emotional, when I say emotional, is it like crying or, you know, it's just, you think about things, you, how do you feel? And how does, how does something make you feel? Um, we're so tired of being afraid, I think. And it is, it's being afraid of something we can't see and we can't control. And it absolutely is, taking us down. We can't fly to Europe for God's sakes. You know, it's just now opened up. I mean, who thought that that would ever be? So I think the conversations are going to be more authentic, to be honest. I I don't know from a marketing standpoint, if how we're going to deliver that kind of service 
Um, but I think that the authenticity, the personalization, that is going to be where marketing spend and efforts are going to be. There is a question we ask of just about everybody who appears on B2B Nation. And that is, what is one tool that you cannot work without? And if we came along and we took away this application, this device, whatever it is for you, you would be completely useless. What is that for Tracy Fudge? What is that thing? Slack. It is not unusual to listen to a podcast, and I admit it has happened on this podcast. I've heard it happen on other podcasts. That Slack notifier. You oh, yeah, I turned it, it off. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, it that's an amazing tool. It really is. It, it really is. Yeah, I think I think the big thing with Slack is the integrations with all the other stuff, because I've used probably more instant messaging type apps at work and at home than I can count. Mm-hmm. But none of them kind of tie things together the way that Slack does. That's my, true. The combined power of Slack and Salesforce. And, you know, you can think of it because I don't think anybody knows what they're going to do with it at this point. How do, you, how do you think that shakes out? Well, Slack, uh, before the acquisition, I mean, the integrations are li- unlimited. I mean, the amount of stuff, you can tie in your Miro boards, you can tie in everything. I mean, HubSpot, Limlist, all of them right into Slack. And for Salesforce to then have the ability to have all that data, right? So Salesforce, that's a data play, I think. Um, to be honest, that's when, when I hear that, that's, it, it is just a, um, they want to compete at a level with Google and all those others. Tracy Fudge. Thanks for joining us on B2B Nation. Thank you so much. That was Tracy Fudge, founder of the Thrive Agency. This contribution to the sweet, sweet hum of B2B marketing is B2B Nation. And if you found this episode interesting, you should share it with a friend and subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, or SoundCloud. Many thanks to Amy Dunn, Sarah Wingate, and our own noise-canceling showrunner, Emily Whalen. Our favorite noise in B2B marketing is our theme song from Mnemonics in the Guild. See you next time on B2B Nation.